read of the latest LGBT plus trends, TV, and the ever-expanding world of drag. Hello there, I'm the Velvet Snatch, and welcome to season three of Girl. Now, it's just me today. We're sadly without any of our regular hosts, as Thotter Stew is down with the sickness, and currently sounds like a chain-smoking Marge Simpson. So, instead, you'll find me in my natural habitat, which, of course, is sandwiched between three rugby players. To help me out this week, we have not one, but two special guest hosts from the Newcastle Ravens rugby team. We have Matt and Glenn. Hello, boys. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. How are you doing? We're good. I'm excited for this. I've never done a podcast before, so... Have you not? Is this your first? Oh, you poor thing. Fan. Getting me was your first. I've had to send out apology cards to people for that in the past. Just on Grinder, though, so it's all right. <laughs> so, Matt, tell me a bit about yourself. Um, so, uh, I'm Matt, live in Newcastle, and I have been with the Newcastle Ravens uh, rugby team for three years. Mm-hmm. And just this year, I became the treasurer of the rugby club. Oh, I've always wondered this. How does treasurer work? Does that mean that you just like you're like Smaug, where you just sit on a massive pile of gold? Yeah, right. And people have to tap you up in special ways to access the gold. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, and they kind of come in and they like could have some coins, and you're like ah, breathing fire and whatnot. Well, you can do it. Different treasurers <laughs> will do it in different ways. Um, uh, I think of myself as a generous treasurer. Um, Actually, just at the weekend, another treasurer from a rugby club who is new to the whole rugby team uh, messages me on Messenger Mm. asking for some advice. But I just said, just do treasurer how you want to do it. Be as mean as you like. (laughs) Freestyle treasuring. Is that what that is? It's a new uh, (laughs) league, yeah. (laughs) Brilliant. And Glenn, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm Glenn. I'm in uh, Newcastle too. I've been part of the rugby team for also three years. And this year became the social secretary. So I do have to tap Matt up for the big pile of gold. <laughs> so you're going in there or being like, please, sir, could I have some gold? Or sometimes I'll just ask for just the tip. <laughs> sometimes the tip is enough. It depends on the situation. I mean, I don't think the tip's ever enough for glad. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a few tips, yeah. <laughs> But yes, and for anyone that hasn't had the pleasure of meeting the Ravens, could you give us a bit of background on the team? Yeah, we've been around for 15 years. It was actually our 15th birthday this year. Bloody hell, Um, 2006 was it? Yeah, 2006 were first established as a team of three. Uh, Now we've grown to a team of over 100 members. We have our um, IGR Union Cup League, and during the pandemic actually started a touch team as well which Mm. has been great because we've actually been able to expand our dynamic uh, from having just men predominantly gay men and now we have um, actually a range of people we have a lot more women involved uh, asexual people non-binary and the club's just really grown well that's it i mean that's the wonderful thing about the ravens the fact that like you know it's inclusive and that means everything like it's i remember because i i 
tried out. I went to a couple of practices with the Ravens a couple of years ago, and uh, and obviously for a beautiful, dainty little flower like myself, it wasn't quite my kind of thing. <laughs> you're all laughing because you can see what I look like on the webcam, and you're just like, fuck off, mate, dainty little flower, my ass. And there was l- lots of straight people on the team, and they just liked it because it was inclusive. They were like, yeah, it's a cool team, you know, and I think that's wonderful. Yeah, one of the things that like really helped us with that and it was like um, a silver lining of COVID almost, was that during the pandemic, obviously we couldn't play proper union, so because mm. you, you can't be in close proximity, kind of up in each other's faces, etc. Yeah. while you're playing. So we, we decided, let's introduce um, a touch team. So we started doing what was called O2 Touch, part of the, the Touch UK league. Mm. And, the, and they market themselves brilliantly as being for all genders, all ages, you know, everybody is welcome. And then through that, we almost discovered a route to being even more inclusive than what we were as a predominantly gay and bi rugby team. So that was that was actually like such a positive outcome of, of COVID almost forcing us not to be too physical. Um, we tried having a women's union team in the past. Hmm. I think that was a bit of a lot for one reason or another but but we're kind of second time lucky and touch seems to be the way and we we just did a boot camp this wednesday just gone we got 30 new members coming along to our boot camp and about half of them were um women or female presenting but it was just great to see that there was such a mix of genders who had gone you know what if it's not too rough we'll give it a go we'll give touch a go instead that sounds good because it because i remember like i did two sessions and managed to break a rib well there's an irony there because obviously me and glenn we've been playing three years mm. i've never other than a fractured <laughs> finger i've not done anything playing union switched to touch i became the touch captain and mm. then a couple of weekends ago i rolled my ankle so i'm <laughs> i've broken three ligaments and i'm out of action for the next so the, two to three months. The hardcore world of touch rugby, then. That... Apparently. It's there we go. Oh, girl. Oh, thank you, gentlemen. And what would we be unless we had an extra special guest for you? And guess what? We have an extra special guest for you. Maccabea gold medalist, team coach, survivor of living in Scarborough, that's an important one, and the first openly gay American Major League Rugby player. It's the man we'd all want on our side in a scrum. It's Devin Ibanez. Hello. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. That was... Pretty good on the pronunciations, I will say. You did well. You got the name down. I think the intro was pretty solid. Also, hi, Glenn and Matt. Um, I think it's interesting that you chose the two opposite ends of, like, a rugby team spectrum. Like, so if you didn't know, treasurers are, like, the only responsible person on a rugby team. Nobody else on the rugby team has their shit together. And then social secretary is just, like, the most depraved party animal you can find on your team who also has good social skills. So you really, you got everything, got all mixes in the back. I mean, I mean, look, look, look into Glenn's eyes. Now that, you know, the depravity, the depravity (laughs) that those eyes are seeing. (laughs) Matt, you're nodding. You know this, you know. Uh, Not firsthand. firsthand. (laughs) So Devon, did I pronounce your surname correctly? You did. Ibanez, well cool. I, it was one of those ones where it's like I did I did some voiceover work for Teresa a couple of weeks ago and it had Spanish in it and I was just like, did I pronounce that right? And she's like, not at all, but it's okay. <laughs> and it's like, okay, fair call. Yeah, so I just butchered her language, which is quite fun. <laughs> so Devon, tell us a bit more about yourself. Sure. So like you mentioned, I'm the first openly gay major league rugby player from the United States. So I actually only just came out 
literally the very beginning of this year. Um, I sort of came out publicly via Instagram slash like Facebook. We know how that social media <laughs> sphere works and kind of revealed my partner who I've been with for the last three and a half years. And I just kind of blew up from there and I started kind of going and doing public speaking and kind of going on different podcasts and just sort of sharing my experience of a 13 year rugby career where I spent most of it in the closet, just kind of keeping myself. And now I've kind of been going a complete sort of 180 from that. And now I won't shut up and stop posting pictures of me and my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> it's good though. You've probably got it pent up. You've probably got all of this sort of like, no, I need to tell you how gay I am. <laughs> exactly. But also uh, a little bit of groundwork to make up for not posting anything on social media with me and my partner for a few years. I needed to catch up <laughs> on sort of the camera rolls and things I hadn't posted for a while. So it's been nice to sort of just put it all out there, even if it's a, a little bit cringe for some people. I, I've been having a great time. <laughs> I, I think it's one of those things, though, where it's like, you know, it's very easy to be very conscious of your social media presence, where you're kind of like going like, oh, am I complaining too much on Facebook? Or am I not posting pretty enough stuff? Or am I not posting enough and things? And it's like, just just do whatever. <laughs> just just do whatever. You know? No, it's it's very true. And I think the reason I've gone very much of just posting me and my partner is like for that three years or so we were together before I came out is I I won't say I made him but I asked him to put his Instagram on private because I didn't want you know my teammates and things like that to see mm. pictures of us together on his page and so it was very much this thing where I felt like I'd kind of been dictating how open he could be and it's really been nice to just be able to not care about any of that and like you said it's social media is social media post what you want to post you can always overthink it but just do what you want to do. Um, I was I was super interested to know when you say you know you came out this year publicly. You kind of said it as if none of your team knew. Did anybody in your close kind of teammate circle know at all, or was it literally kind of first steps? If you don't mind me asking, so it's a bit of a com complicated one. Um, I think. I think it's one of those things where I thought less of my teammates knew than actually knew. Like I, I hadn't personally told a lot of my teammates, but rugby players are not exactly the best at keeping their mouth shut and holding a secret. So, <laughs> you know, I had told a few of my friends, like a lot of my really close friends who I'd either met through rugby over the years or just like I'd grown up with. I was already out to, you know, in terms of my family, I came out to my parents when I was 11 years old. So oh, like yeah. they'd, yeah, they'd known for a very long time and were like extremely supportive. I have an incredible, like loving family. My partner, Fergus, he had already met my parents and my family like within, you know, a few weeks into our relationship. And like my family loved him. He loved my family. So I was in this weird, like, some people I like wanted to tell new, but in terms of like rugby teammates who were just, hey, you're a casual person I'm meeting at training, I would never talk about it. I would never bring it up. I would always, you know, I wouldn't talk about our weekend trips. I would just say, oh, I went with a friend to this place or mm. I did this. I never would go into any detail. So I think my public coming out to me just meant like on my Facebook, which is mostly people I've only met through rugby playing in, you know, four or five different countries over the years coming out publicly on there for all of them to say, Hey, for people who I'm not close to, I'm openly gay. And I have been openly gay within my family and friends for, you know, several years. So that's what it sort of meant when I say publicly coming out was it was just public posts that everybody I knew 
but wasn't that close with Saw. I mean, I remember reading an article where you were talking about like how you don't just come out once. You have to come out continually for your entire life. So every time you meet someone else, you're just like, oh, time to get... And obviously it'd be easier if we just wore T-shirts. Like if we just wore T-shirts <laughs> saying, yes, I am gay, thanks. You know, that, that would make it easier. But uh, I thought that was a very poignant point. Well, it's interesting you say that with like wearing a T-shirt because now, I mean, with my Instagram, which is like <laughs> at that gay rugger, I might as well be wearing a t-shirt. I, I think you wearing a t-shirt. Let, let's not go wild with this. Let's not go wild with you wearing t-shirts. Because uh, I, I'm liking it how it is, if I'm honest. <laughs> but what I mean is like I went to, so I started with a team called Richmond in the UK, which is, um, they play um, one of the higher levels of rugby. I think they play, I don't know, whatever, the second division of rugby below professional in the UK. And I didn't know a single person on the team. I'd reached out to the team and it just said, hey, I've moved to this area. Here's my sort of team history. And then I show up in training and I sort of meet some people and, you know, I start posting some pictures and tagging people in it. And it's like they go to my page and it's like, oh, that gay rugger. It's like there's a whole chunk of people who I didn't have to have some one-on-one -on -one conversation with and come out yeah. to. They can already see right there like, oh. This is kind of a thing, I guess. <laughs> well, actually, I need to ask you this about your journey, because your journey is like, I want to plot this on a map. I want to get one of the maps and do the little sort of plain dotted line things just to work out. Because <laughs> you're from Boston in Massachusetts, you know, and you did rugby there. And then you moved to New Zealand, where the hobbits live, <laughs> to do the rugby. And you like coached a high school rugby team there and you played your first full season, I think. Yeah, so I... I mean, I'd already been playing rugby for a very long time at that point. So I, I played all the way through high school, all the way through university. I'd even done a season in Australia as well. And then it was after I graduated from university. That was when I was like, you know what? I know that I want to play rugby. I've got the rest of my life to have a boring mm. office job. I'm going to just go to New Zealand and just pursue it for a year fully. So that's what I did. I picked up and I just sort of moved on a somewhat of a whim across the world yeah. and started playing there and started coaching as well. So rugby just became my whole life. I would be training and also coaching at the school. And it was just an incredible experience. I mean, but, but then the story gets a bit strange because you're in New Zealand, obviously. And then like, I don't, I want to know what, you know, intoxicants were involved, but then you move from there to Scarborough in the UK. <laughs> like, you know, what happened there? Oh, you know what they say, the highest highs followed by the lowest lows. Yeah, kind of <laughs> I mean, to be fair, this is Scarborough we're talking about. Anyone who doesn't know Scarborough, it's basically the most exciting thing to happen in Scarborough is someone sets your wheelie bin on fire and snaps your stick of rock in half. But it just, yeah, so were you invited over or did you? Yeah, so the situation was I'd just come off of this season in New Zealand and I had a really good year. You know, I'd been named as the player of the year for the club, which was like my first time ever winning that kind of an award and playing the highest level I'd ever played. And our captain was actually moving to Scarborough because that's where his wife was from. So oh. he was going to be moving there to try to get, you know, citizenship, try to get, you know, whatever he needed to be able to stay in the country with his wife and with his child. So he said, oh, you know, we're looking for a few players at this position, happened to be the position I played. And I was like, I've already done it for one year. Why not just go to Scarborough for another? They were offering to, you know, pay my flights and to, you know, pay for my accommodation while I was there. So I was like, you know, what what could possibly go wrong, right? Like, why, why not just go to Northern England away from everything where I don't know anyone or have any support system? <laughs> I think the biggest difficulty was just, yeah, not being happy with the club situation and not really knowing anybody there. You know, mm -hmm. at this point, I wasn't out to my teammates. So I did end up seeing somebody while I was there. And that became kind of an uncomfortable situation because I was living in a rugby house 
and they were just sort of like, hmm, where is Devin six nights out of the week? Like, I don't see a lot of him other than at <laughs> rugby trainings. And Scarborough, not exactly the biggest town in the world. It uh, didn't take him too long to sort of narrow down that I was with a guy. And that uh... was a very uncomfortable converse, like uncomfortable situation where I was kind of like outed against my will to my team, even though they were like nice about it. It's still not something that you want done at any pace other than your own. <laughs> What's it like on a rugby team where you have different like uh, people? Like, is there a lot of talk? Is there a lot of chatter kind of thing, especially on like a, you know, a, a non-LGB team? So we have competed um, in a lot of the Merit League games, which is like the local leagues in Newcastle. But actually, I always often find rugby to be the most gentlemanly sport, hmm. I'd say, compared to a lot of like other sports that I've seen. Uh, because, you know, you always like play your game, you have your ties on at the end, you shake hands with everybody. And I think also a little bit behind the um, whole IGR and gear movement behind rugby, I think it's probably the most forward-thinking sport. So we haven't really had a lot of... I don't think we've ever had any issues with heterosexual people about being um, as such, like, described as a gear rugby team sort of thing, insert quote. Have either of you played for a non-IGR club, or did you guys both start rugby three years ago when you started playing with Newcastle? Yeah, I only have played as an, as an, like, as an adult with Newcastle Ravens but I used to play rugby back in school and college so for me it was like rejoining it and back then I wasn't really out so it, it wasn't really something that that came up so I it's hard to speak about it but I would definitely reiterate what Glenn said about you know we we show up and we we've had a presence among these non-LGBT teams and it's just kind of like over time it's that culture of you know what it doesn't matter if they are predominantly lgbt team or an inclusive team we're going to play them and it's not a case of you know t 10 years ago or we beat the gays or that type of attitude mm. and it doesn't really matter who they are what they are if they're good rugby players we'll shake their hands at the end of the match and res respect that they put up a good fight even if you know whether yeah. we won or lost hang on what happens if they weren't though do you not shake hands or is it like if they're a bunch of arseholes we you know just leave leave the pitch you know? <laughs> just leave the pitch just go nope cold shoulder no, to you bastards that's what that's lit that's what glenn's like saying i'd like definitely what glenn just said like it is so gentlemanly it's it's you like you beat the shit out of each other on on the pitch not, not literally but it's such a rough sport and the, like the language during the game but as soon as that whistle goes Everyone's like, "Oh, great game! Yeah, great game!" Like, don't don't worry that you just like almost took like one of my ribs out during the game. I, this I does sound that. like the most British game in the world. Like this, I don't, like oh, terribly good. Oh my, my arm's hanging off, but oh, good game, lovely. <laughs> it's the classic. That what's that saying? Football is a gentleman's game played by hooligans, but rugby is a hooligans game played by gentlemen. I I want that framed. I want that framed on my wall. That's a brilliant line. So. I think it's an interesting kind of thing because as much of a gentleman's game as it is, and I think that it is doing better than a lot of sports, I think we're comparing it to a pretty low bar, <laughs> like if we're being <laughs> honest, like to be the most inclusive, like masculine type or like very contact heavy sport. We're not exactly up against world class competition in terms of like classiness on and off the field, if we're being honest. Um, so I think that's where I run into some difficulty is I think a lot of the time, especially at like the highest level with rugby and playing, you know, division one and professionally, there's a big tendency for teams to kind of like pat themselves on the back and be like, we're super inclusive. I think that for clubs that aren't IGR clubs, that's not 
always the case. I think that they're good at sort of putting a face on, like you say, shaking hands after a game. But as somebody who's like in those training setups kind of week in, week out, you still deal with a lot of the behind the scenes kind of homophobia. Like, for example, I had a coach who was the head coach of the team I was playing for in Division One. And, you know, this is the person making the selections, making the decisions. And he had this thing where if you were having a bad training or, you know, you dropped a ball and you weren't playing well, he would like one on one occasion yelled from the sideline and was like, you should go play for the Ironsides. I hear they're looking for some average players. And for you two, you might know the Ironsides are the inclusive gay rugby team in Boston. That's the comparison he chooses to draw. So it's like you still deal with this weird sort of homophobia and even just like the other week I played in a match where we come off the field and somebody almost got into a fight and he's frustrated. And then he immediately goes and starts calling the other guy a slur that I'm not going to say right now, yeah, that's but it. it's, it's something that is still really prominent. And I was actually going to ask you two from like the perspective of IGR, you mentioned everyone's really cool in the gang when, you know, you have a good competitive match. Have you ever had teams that like you beat them or you beat them really bad and they just like sore loser immediately kind of goes to, I'm just going to be homophobic now, or has that never really been your experiences? I think we're super lucky that we, when we have played non-IGR teams, you've always won. We, we, um, oh, <laughs> we've always lost. We've always lost. Oh, right, okay. Maybe, maybe that's why they're, they're they're generous enough to not throw homophobic slurs at us because we gave them the the win. But um, I think even if we had won, we wouldn't have got that. But I recognise yeah. that we're super lucky to to have that, and I think it's probably the fact we put in quite a few years of keeping our profile up. And saying, you know what, you know, we're here, we're clear, we play rugby as well, and kind of get used to it because we're not going anywhere. So I think our persistence has like stopped that happening. But it's it's an interesting point about is it the fact that there's these role models that are fantastic who come out that allow rugby to be more inclusive? One of the things that I think is probably unlocked that is this idea of of respect, which is such a like crucial part of the game of rugby is everything is built on respect and I guess once you've once you've already got that as a foundation whether it's respect for the players or for the ref or for the game itself it's at least a good a step in the right direction for people to then feel that there's at least a bit of safety to coming out or being an LGBT etc and I just don't know if there's other sports not that rugby is ideal you know or perfect by any means but I'm just not sure if there's any other sports who take it as serious as rugby in terms of respect. Mm. Glenn, how do you feel on it? See, I've always found, like, with our team, we've been very lucky in terms of we've always had a great committee around us where we've actually really consciously made an effort to get to know other teams, whether they've been um, IGR or not. We've always made that effort to go to their tournaments. We've always made an effort to reach out to them and offer friendly games, offer normal games as well, like for Merit League and stuff. So we've always been, because we've been so forthcoming to make contact, we've always we've been able to set a presence for ourselves as Newcastle Ravens hmm. um, at Percy Park and, and stuff. And even like with Percy Park, we work incredibly close with them. Even when it came to setting up the touch tournament, we actually worked quite closely with the Percy Pirate coach. So they have actually helped develop our touch team, and which has helped us grow as a team. Hmm. Um, while... I just feel with other sports, for an example, we do like there is um, an LGBT football team um, in the northeast. I feel that one's that area is kind of still growing, mm. like for football and for uh, recognised LGBT people in football. But I've always found it interesting because in my day job, where we've worked 
like working there at schools and stuff. Whereas after talking to one of the tennis coaches, he was talking about homophobia in tennis, and he said how it is actually quite bad, which you wouldn't think when you compare a contact sport like rugby to tennis, which is strawberries and cream, that sort of thing. Mm. You wouldn't think there would be so much homophobia in it, but actually, apparently a lot of it stems from who's actually behind your committee, and that's because a lot of tennis, like in, in tennis, a lot of the committees can be very elderly people yeah. who mm. just aren't as forward-thinking as the younger generation are with rugby because there is quite a younger generation of people who take the role of the committees who lead the teams forward that's kind of helped us climb forward as a like as an lgbt presence for sport i think that's a very interesting point because i think it is there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things where because of the old guard still leading the charge with them that they're not as inclusive as they could be. I mean, is it that like more work needs to be done for other sports? And do we think that in the next couple of years or whatever, that we can get sports becoming more LGBT inclusive? Yeah, I, I think it's really obvious there's still a lot of work to be done. And I think that a lot of it does come down to what Glenn is talking about, about getting younger people that are more representative of the sport into those positions. I think it's interesting also that Glenn says that it's something rugby does well. I think... At the local level, rugby does a really good job of it. Like you said, the treasurers, things like that are things that change yearly. But I think when you start going up, like when you start looking at world rugby and you start looking at, you know, the professional teams and international teams, those board of directors and things like that are all like exclusively elderly white men. And like, especially when we're talking about world rugby, I think world rugby has one woman on their like executive board. Other than that, it's literally just all white men. And that's where you start seeing some of the inconsistencies in our sport, where it's at the grassroots, it's extremely inclusive, and we have these IGR teams. But then at the highest level, World Rugby, I don't know if if you knew about this, um, but uh, World Rugby in this past year and a half banned trans women from participating in international competition, becoming the first sport ever to just do a blanket outright ban on all trans women at an international level. So that's where you're starting to see it's like, okay, we are this super inclusive sport. We agree that this is part of our values. We want everyone to be included. And then it's like our highest level of representation is still rooted in a very not inclusive kind of a mindset. So I think that is something that applies to a lot of sports where you're still seeing those really people in power, the ones who are the, you know, big wigs, so to speak, those are the people who are still not really representative of the sports values. I I think it's something that we see a lot with Pride Month and stuff, where what we're getting is we're getting people giving token gestures, but not actually changing. Like, they're not actually changing their core values, they're not changing their outlook, but they're being like, look, we put a fucking rainbow on something, or, oh, look, you know, oh, look, we've got a woman on board, oh, look, it's a gay person, you know, like, rather than actually fundamentally changing their outlook on things and being more inclusive i think it's interesting as well like when you talk about how there was like that ban for trans uh, women playing it was like that caused quite a lot of kickoff in the um, igr clubhouse and on social media and everything and it was interesting to see how everyone came together arguing for and against but actually one of the things that we didn't actually get to see on that club on some of the clubhouse pages was trans women actually saying what they thought and I think feeding on what you were saying, Devin, about how it was like predominantly white older men overseeing the higher level of rugby. Again, it was like IGR, it was then white gay men arguing whether this was a right or wrong rule for yeah. trans people. And I think 
that's another thing we need to get out more out there is actual trans representation. And it's awful to think that actually sometimes it does come down to like how the marketing is done for somebody to be able to come forward and make that sport more inclusive, kind of like yourself, Devon. And then even when you look at uh, Diving, there was like Tom Daly again, it was marketed so well where he did the whole coming out thing. It then opened up another LGBT area in the sport. And I think that's where a lot of the time sports get stuck with moving forward is not being able to have that representation, that market, and, that, and to sell that person and then be able to go, see, there is plenty of people. Let's get more involved. Well, I think the part of the difficulty is there is just a low percentage of trans women who are openly you know, trans competing in rugby kind of globally, I think that that was part of the issue when these proceedings were happening is there were so few and it's like, you want them now to take this whole burden of having to explain every single trans person's experience in rugby. I think that what was particularly discouraging though is that up until this point, World Rugby had had a really inclusive policy for trans women and trans women had been kind of safely and happily finding rugby to be a really good safe haven for them where they could go to inclusive teams or they could go to, you know, women's clubs and feel welcome and feel like they had a space that they didn't get in other sports. And now it's kind of been flipped on its head where they're like, well, I feel welcome, but it's like, how can I even compete? Like if it's, if it's not considered safe for me to compete at the highest level of the sport, like how is it okay for me to compete at this level of the sport. And I think that that's where it's been really difficult is it's now it's brought in all these questions where trans women have to kind of consider their place in the sport. Whereas it used to just be, yeah, you're absolutely welcome. As you said, you know, rugby's values, if you can play, you can play, doesn't matter, you know, your sexuality, your gender identity, whatever it might be, you know, you're welcome to play rugby. So that's, I think has been the biggest effect from that sort of ban it's really confusing for me because obviously a lot you know you hear these people and a lot of their arguments against trans people being in sports is like oh well they're just going to win all the medals with rugby it's the sort of thing of going well if they can do it then let them you know what well, what's the problem it's so it, it's a very weird flex i think especially for rugby i think half of the problem is that people just don't don't know enough they've just not explored the issue enough they've just not kind of listen to enough different voices it's all kind of been from one direction because of who we who we seem to be it was funny when i read in the uk at least there was a bit of a consultation about what should the rules be around trans women even and trans men but predominantly trans trans women was seemed to be the target of this and just kind of like throwing in these arbitrary rules of oh wait we think that if a trans woman is taller than five foot ten and it's just like you know what it's not it's not this binary of women are five six they don't wear more than 10 stuff you know and mm. men are this tall and they wear this much the overlap between us as as any humans of any gender is so great that why do we still keep seeing things in this cis men cis women binary and and the associated characteristics like the world's so much more complicated than that but but because it's always been traditionally white straight men at the top they've just never been challenged before but this is kind of that critical decade, I guess, where people are starting to challenge, people are starting to speak up, and they're saying, you know what, you need to rethink everything from from the ground up. But then that's Devon's point, isn't it, about, because it's grassroots sports who's going, you know what, we're the ones who have trans members, we're the ones who have a mix of sexualities on the pitch. Like, listen to us, we'll tell you what it's what it's kind of really like. One thing that I want to ask that is uh, on a slightly different tack is, like, how is it... In America, Devon, when someone comes out in a sport, is there 
the potential that it could end their career. Because obviously that's been how it's been for the Hollywood and stuff, where there's so many film stars that we know are LGBT, but then like they're like, well, I can't admit it because then I wouldn't get any film roles because it's still homophobic. That that's the case in football here, where well, you know, the likelihood of there being no gay footballers in like the UK. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, put it close to zero percent, I would say. <laughs> um I think it's really difficult with the US because so different like wherever you are like for me i live in massachusetts way up in like the northeast of the united states for me like it's a really like welcoming and lgbtq plus like inclusive area you know like we have provincetown here for christ's sake like we we've got we've got some pretty inclusive spaces where it's totally fine to be a part of that community and no one's going to bother you but when you start going into some different parts of the country be it you know the middle of the country or even some parts of the south i think it is still a really real fear, but I think that for me, I had that fear. I did still have that worry that coming out would end my career, but it wasn't necessarily because of fear of homophobia. I think a lot of it was more fear of like being viewed as a distraction. Like, I think that that was also part of it, like being seen from a professional team standpoint of like, okay, is this person like one of our star players? No, then maybe we should just have somebody else who isn't going to have this whole fuss of you know, talking about the inclusivity of sport. What do you mean by distraction in this context? So a lot of rugby teams, you know, for the professional teams, for example, you're a team of, you know, 25, 30, 35 players as a squad. Like it's a big squad, right? And unless you're one of those like marquee international professional players, everyone else is just there to fulfill a role, right? You're there to show up on time. You're there to fulfill your duties and you're there to get out. So I think that my fear of being viewed as a, you know, quote unquote distraction was, I didn't want to be seen as like trying to grab attention or being seen as sort of self-serving in this very team mindset oriented kind of space where it would be very easy for a team to just sort of turn around and be like, all right, well, we can find a player with a similar ability who's not going to be somebody we have to worry about, you know, saying that some of our practices are homophobic or saying that they're dealing with some homophobia behind the scenes Mm -hmm. because I wanted to just be honest about my experiences without it becoming this whole thing of, you know, all attention is on me, right? It doesn't matter if you're starting, you're still the person people want to ask questions to because you're the, you know, the gay player. So I think that most of my concerns had to do with that, with being either viewed as a distraction or just being viewed as like, yeah, just somebody who is trying to kind of grab attention. And then I guess you do still have those concerns about, you know, internalized homophobia and how that's going to affect, you know, selections and things like that. I guess for me, I just never felt like I was in a secure enough place as a player where, I could come out and have that not be like an issue for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, That's super interesting because it almost kind of like infers that like teams by their nature are only successful through uniformity and being homogenous in, in their members. Even though we know in 2021 that diversity is absolutely like the key. And you would think, you know, on the, on the in rugby, different people of different sizes, different skills, kickers, sprinters, the guys who can just plough through because they wear eight stone and no one can stop them. You would think surely in rugby they would go, oh, actually, everyone being a bit different is a great thing. But what you've described almost sounds like, but it would be easier if everybody was straight. It's kind of that approach, isn't it? Like difference is good but not difference in sexuality. (laughs) Well, I think it's interesting because what you're talking about with valuing diversity 
has everything to do with just like you're saying, like physical performance on the field, like valuing different physiques, valuing even different personalities of like how you socialize within a team. But then that's where I feel like that sort of old boys kind of mentality comes into rugby, where it's like off of the field, they still want you to kind of conform to what is largely this sort of like boys mm. club kind of drinking culture that is still very prominent in rugby. And I think that that's where you start to see a bit of the like lack of diversity in a lot of rugby clubs where people don't feel like they can just sort of be themselves outside of that box, separate from those sort of like team atmosphere sort of settings where you're playing in a match or you're practicing. So I think that that has been that big difference where it's like, yes, we want you to be unique and we want you to be like cracking some jokes at trainings and bringing something different to the table. But like, we don't want you to be that different off of the field where we feel like we don't like we don't know how to interact with you or i think really what it is is feel like we have to change our behavior or change the way that we think right like it's a space where everyone feels so comfortable but unfortunately a lot of that everyone is straight cis white men i actually like i had never played for any inclusive gay rugby teams like i completely my entire career grew up just playing like what is it whether it be division one or you know whatever local club i was playing for i didn't get introduced to idr until i went to the 2018 bingham cup so i had no idea that there were these inclusive gay rugby teams i'd heard of the ironsides growing up in boston which was our local team but i always wondered like how much of this exists for other sports that i just didn't know about because i feel like a lot of people don't know that there are these options to get involved with a sport that they kind of felt like they didn't have a place in growing up. Yeah, it's always interesting whenever um, I talk to like when a workman comes to do my house and there uh, does like the painting and stuff and they like talk about and I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm just going off to play rugby. Like, oh, you play rugby? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'll like, explain how it's like an LGBT team. And you always get that, oh, good for you, mate. Good for you. But what people don't actually realize is there's that entire essentially hidden league of the IGR which once you get in this, it's like a network of everybody where your friends just blow up because you just have so many all over. But what I've never realized is through talking to other sports coaches is that actually there's a whole essentially gear or LGBT league hidden within football and within tennis. And I'm always interested to see is like, is there a basketball one? Is there like golf? Yeah. And what else is actually out there? But there isn't a lot of representation of these LGBT leagues globally. Do we feel like IGR teams are opening up representation better in the sport across stuff so that if we did have ones for other things, it would, you know, hopefully make them more inclusive as a sport? I'd say definitely, because one of the things that we often get praised on from Rugby England is our actual Instagram and social media presence, Hmm. because it's always shown our team in such a positive light, especially during uh, COVID and lockdowns we actually were able to link up with other IGR teams and do social events using platforms like Zoom. And we're able to do social events from our own home, but crossed over with other teams. Like our social media presence actually even brought forward, um, I know recently we had a guy who joined who's heterosexual. We actually joined our team because he said when he looked at everyone's Instagrams and websites, he said, we look the most fun. (laughs) (laughs) It was literally the reason. We're like, great. I think the big thing that IGR offers and also just other sports if they were to take on similar types of leagues is it gives like specifically adults like later in their careers this opportunity to pick up a new sport which I think with like usual heteronormative kind of teams is seen as a lot more intimidating because of a lot of kind of the cultures of toxic masculinity and not feeling like they can kind of learn a new skill I think that there is sort of a fear of picking up sports later in life that 
specifically talking about IGR has really done an amazing job getting rid of because you know people who are traumatized by rugby you know either growing up in school or just never thought like oh that would never be something i could even consider now are like well now i have this group of all these other people who picked it up at a similar age i did who have you know similar experiences that i have who are just like learning the sport the same way i am so i think that's the big benefit of those types of leagues yeah definitely because uh, when actually actually when i came to me originally joining the ravens you know it was when i was at well when i was 25 was actually when i started joining the ravens and the main reason was i'd lived like in carlisle london then moved back to newcastle back home and then actually found oh i didn't actually have any gear friends essentially and for me that's been probably 80 percent of the reason i've joined the ravens was because it actually offered me this network this community and then from there even going to play a game you then end up with like friends lists on your facebook about the length of two of your arms and then you know that if you ever wake up in a city a bit rough not sure where you are you can just check and you'll find about three other people who are from an igr team and they'll be like yeah come to mind get a shower i'll give you tea i'll give you a lift and it's that network and that friendship which is actually what keeps me involved and makes me want to do more for the team and more for the league as a whole that was so clean glenn and i applaud you <laughs> i was about to say be so proud. my <laughs> eyes couldn't have rolled to the back of my head any faster yeah, he is the so- he is the social media guru though. So we've got to we've got to give him that. Well, as Thotter Stew isn't here, I guess it's up to me to run this week's wonderful little game. Now, if you don't know, every episode we pit our well, we pit our guest against one of our regulars, but this time we'll do something a bit special. How do you want to do it? Do you want to go together? And you can work as a team against Devin, or does one of you want to volunteer as tribute? I think we should team up on him. Team up, so I'm happy to team up. How do you feel about this, Devin? Are you, are you feeling threatened? Bring on the challenge, I'm ready. Okay, right. Ooh, he's not He's not even perturbed at all. <laughs> so, what you're in it to win? One of our fabulous Stu Peter badges. Oh, Ooh, no expense spared, literally. Uh, none. <laughs> Actually, I think the clip on the back of it costs a bit. So, you know, so yeah. So This week, the game is called... <laughs> I don't even know. He hasn't even written it. <laughs> the game is called Generic Rugby Pun. <laughs> Each player will be asked a question relating to rugby, queer celebrities, or a combination of both. Whoever comes out on top will win a gold Stu Peter badge. And the runners-up, because we don't call them losers, but that's what they are really you know gets to take home a silver runners-up girl badge (laughs) so as always we'll start with our delightful guest so devon here's your question how tall is gay rugby legend gareth thomas fuck (laughs) oh shit i told you they were random i told you (laughs) they're so random I, do I? Does it have to be exact, or do I get like a few inch? Like, oh, yeah. Do I get like a range? As we probably all know, a few inches can make all the difference. So, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with five foot nine. Five foot nine. Okay, wrong. <laughs> wrong. He's six foot three inches. That's. I was gonna say a six four. Six foot, that would have been closer. I, like, I never got to meet him in person, so I just I think that's just the issue. Is if I'd met him, 
I would have never made such a mistake. See, that's a, yeah, to be fair, if you met him, you wouldn't have made the mistake. Everyone looks so small running around on the pitch on the TV. <laughs> it's like, that's because they're on the television, <laughs> and the television is far away. <laughs> you know, the t- but guess, okay, so, Ravens, your question is, who are the oldest rugby union team in the world? Ooh. Then why you ask them this? I knew this. The, we get we get this a lot. We if you listen to the previous episodes, there's quite a few like, oh, if I got that question, oh, but I, I think I know who it is in the UK, but I don't know if that would be in the world. Well, rugby union is like a British sport, so just go with go with the UK team. I think it's a British sport. I might sound like an idiot saying. I think it's, a, I think it's the Steelers. The Steelers. What city is that? East London. Well, I'm afraid you're also wrong. It is actually Dublin University. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. according to Stu's Google search that gave this question. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty transparent about it, to be fair. Okay, cool. So, Devon. Oh, which character does Elliot Page play in Umbrella Academy? Oh, God. Why haven't I watched this recently? <sighs> Isn't it like her name, like... Vanya? V-A-N-Y-A? Is that, isn't something like that? It Close. could be. <laughs> is that your answer? I'm going to go answer that, yes. <laughs> you are correct. You are correct. Oh, thank God. I haven't watched the new season yet. It's still in there. Ugh. Right. Okay, so Ravens are going to have to catch up. Which gay icon appears on Lady Gaga's latest album? This, this, we excommunicate you if you can't, if you haven't listened to Lady Gaga's latest album. We take you out back and shoot you. That's how it works. I'm just trying to work out who still buys albums. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> all the best things are on Spotify, like Girl. So I think we should get the point for that. <laughs> okay, your money's in the post, Glenn. I, I hope you know this because I, 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 I don't listen to Lady Gaga. I know it makes me a terrible human. Well, do you want the answer? <laughs> Have, have yeah. a guess. Have a, just think of a gay icon and be like, who could be on Lady Gaga's latest album? Mm-hmm. Lil Nas? Good, good guess. Good one, but I'm afraid it's not. It's Elton John. Oh. oh, yes, exactly. Right, okay, so back to you, Devon. Here's a good one. How many countries consider rugby their national sport? Ooh, that's really difficult. I know that... New Zealand is one of them. Fiji, if you're counting national, if you're counting rugby sevens as one of their national supports, that is what their national sport is. Um, but beyond that, I don't know. I would say three on the off chance that there's another country I'm not thinking of. Yes, it is. It's three. Uh, the, the actual countries that I have here, but you might know better, is Wales, Madagascar, and New Zealand. So I guess they they're technically incorrect because Fiji... Rugby sevens is their national sport, which isn't quite rugby union, so it's 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 a gray area. But I'm you know you're right actually you're correct. But no, no, no happily oh, like three uh, red teams. <laughs> listeners, message Stew, message uh, Girl Global on Instagram, and tell them how wrong they are and how terribly they research their games. <laughs> right, Ravens. Ooh, why are rugby balls oval in shape? Is is this a serious question or the? set up for a punchline <laughs> that's it yeah. I think it's easy to catch easy to throw no um, I think it's easier to carry I think it's to do with how you carry them it is like a like a baby really I I think it's more <laughs> oval babies no I think it's more <laughs> fundamental than that it's more sort of think middle ages oh, right. is it, is it, uh, no, it's, 
it's going to be like animal related, like pigskin sort of thing with America, like with the American tussle pigskin thing. Is, is it because they're made out of an animal's stomach? Close enough. I will give you this. I will give you this. Uh, it is because they used to be made from pig bladders, which are oval shaped when inflated. So don't say I don't help you. Right. There we go. Um, right. Well done, Glenn. <laughs> Devin, which live action adaptation has Billy Porter recently starred in? Oh, that would be Cinderella. Yes, correct. Correct. Cinderella. Ravens, you're going to need to catch up on this because Devin's in the lead. <laughs> Which classic rock band does Adam Lambert tour with? Queen. Yes, correct, correct, right. Back to you, Devon. Ooh, it's, it's heating up now. Ooh, it's getting all spicy. Which is the only team to have ever received two red cards in one World Cup rugby match? Oh, shit. I know that Wales had the one red card, but did they have two? I can't think of a better guess, so I'm going to have to say... Wales. I'm afraid it says here it's Canada or Canada if you pronounce it incorrectly. <laughs> I didn't know that, but they do have the red jerseys. It was between the two things that had the red jerseys, Wales and Canada. So it must go. just be out of color association. A red theme there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, right. Ravens. Who is the world's youngest World Cup try scorer to date? This is where we should know nothing about actual rugby i can't even uh, help you here because i'm the, the the answer is a word on a page that is like i'm just like what does it rhyme with <laughs> no no I, i'm not helping you that <laughs> oh god not a clue glenn i've not got a clue we'll just can we can we just make up a name um lewis pringleton okay uh oh well yeah he's no it's not okay but uh, sorry, Lewis Pringleton, I'm afraid you were older when you scored your first World Cup try. No, the answer is George North, who at the ripe little age oh. of 19. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. You know, he's not, not quite as you know well known as Pringleton, of course. But uh, yeah. <laughs> and at the end of all those questions, we have our winner with a fabulous three points. Devon is the winner. So we'll be Yay. sending you a darling gold stupita bed. <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm glad that I was put up against a competition who didn't know the answers to any of the questions. So that made it a lot easier for me. <laughs> I'm glad that I was the least incompetent involved. <laughs> Ravens, you had two points. So not too far behind. Not too far behind. Now, actually, not that not that much of an easy win. <laughs> Like, yeah, that's it. That's it. There was there was a competition. It wasn't a walk in the park. It wasn't you know, whichever way Devon tries to cut it. But yes, also he's written a tiebreaker bonus that I'm probably not meant to do if it's not needed, but I'm going to do it anyway. To the nearest million, how many views does the music video for Montero by Little Nas X currently have? A million. Is this just whoever can think of it? Um, I'm going to go seven million. Oh no, the Miles Monroe. It's got to be like 300 million or. I was like 180 million. You're saying 180, Matt? Yes, I'm the treasurer. I look after the numbers. Okay. So I'll I'll go with 180 million. Glenn, what are you going with? Are you sticking on seven? No, I'm going well up now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go 250 million. 250 million? And Devin? Oh man. Well, now I'm I'm right sandwiched in the middle. I guess I'll go for 300 million. I'm stick with my original gut. 
You are the closest, Devon. Uh, as of the 6th of September, it is 341 million views. And like half of those are stew. So, you know. <laughs> Not like as many as Glenn's Grinder profile. <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost. <laughs> Well, no, thank you very much for participating in the game. Uh, we'll send your badges out when we have them ready. Okay, cool. So the next thing we need to talk about is the fan questions. I think they've all been covered. Yeah, we could probably rephrase. Can I ask my own um, fanboy question? If you don't mind us asking it, Devin. <laughs> Go for it. So, I'd, I'd, well, I follow you and your partner on Instagram, and I just really want to know, how did you actually meet? Because... From what I see, is he's all the way in London, you're all the way over there, and it's just I do love watching stories. It's like you meet up again and stuff. I'm like, oh, <laughs> sorry. You want to know how did that come about? Oh, that's cute. Thank you so much for following us. That's really. I always, I'm always like, why do people care? Why, why do they like? Why do they like seeing us do anything? Um, no. So I actually met Fergus when he was in the United States. So he's currently in medical school right now in the UK. But when we met you know, whatever it was in 2000 and end of 2017, beginning of 2018, he was in Boston and he was doing research um, for Harvard Labs. And this is the detail that he hates that I include. So I make sure that I include it every single time I do an interview. He was studying sleep deprivation on fruit flies. So literally his job was to just like poke fruit flies and keep them awake <laughs> and then basically like spin them and then study their guts. So that was his job, and we we met while he was here. Is, is, doing is, that, that. A, is that an occupation, fly botherer? Apparently, it's enough to get you a visa and get you into another country. So if if you are one of those kids growing up who wouldn't leave insects alone, maybe that's for you. You know, when when we agreed to do this podcast, like a phrase like "poke them awake and study their guts," like, I thought that might come up, but in a totally different context. <laughs> like even fruit fly itself there's a joke in that <laughs> but we're too wholesome to we don't this is a very wholesome podcast we don't, we don't bring that on professional yeah you know so <laughs> but so yeah we met we met while he was here and we met through a dating app like 99 percent of people meet and we started hanging out and going you know like i said a few weeks into our relationship he'd already like fully met my parents and like from the rest of the time here he was here for maybe like nine ten months after that and we would go on like little road trips and just like get away for the weekends and eventually the end of the year where he was here kind of came and we were assuming that that was probably it because he lived in the UK and I lived in Boston and uh, that's just not really the way it happened <laughs> we just decided to keep talking and we decided to give this whole miserable um long distance thing <laughs> in attempt but it's worked out pretty well you know the pandemic made things a little bit tricky for a bit there a bit touch and go but we've been very happy ever since so it's been yeah about three and a half coming up on four years now on the same subject i don't even think this is a question this is just this is just <laughs> someone abusing our podcast uh i've got a question from raf dylan who was our guest last episode from the great british sewing bee uh, and he asks when can we go for a meal with you and fergus <laughs> oh, we've now become so a personals ad <laughs> <laughs> so i like know raf like know him in the sense that we've messaged each other on not Instagram. not in a biblical we, sense then not in the biblical okay. sense no no not in that, not in that way. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit and i would definitely love to 
meet up with him next time we're uh, we're back in back in the UK. I actually originally had reached out to him because I mentioned to Fergus's mother that somebody from Great British Sewing Bee follows me on Instagram, and she was like, "Is it Raph?" And I was like. I don't know. Let me check. And I was like, it is Raph. And she was like, Raph, Raph is incredible. Raph is the best one. Like, and like I, I immediately messaged him that. And he was like, he would just loved it. Loves that all the, uh, the grandmothers and the mothers going crazy for him on great British sewing bee. I didn't even realize it was in America. Is it being shown in America? This was, this was Fergus's mother. So oh, right. okay. in, yeah, in the UK. Yeah. And while I was visiting, she then had this whole um, experience where she was fangirling over Raph. So I definitely would love to meet him. He he is absolutely wonderful. You know, it was a joy to speak to him on the podcast. So, yeah, definitely, definitely do that. But yes, <laughs> guys, uh, your next question. Uh, yeah, so we have a question from one of our players and committee members called Mike, and he is asking about any of your teammates or particular people in the club who were especially there to offer you support when you first came out. Mm. Oh, I like that question. Um, what's interesting is that a lot of the people I've been closest to throughout like this whole rugby journey haven't been people like in my current club. Like there are people who I just sort of met along the way who I just realized like this person is special and they've kind of been with me for, you know, seven, eight years of the rugby journey. So the big two that I would say is my friend Gavin, who I actually grew up playing with in high school and now plays for the USA Sevens team. And then my friend Roman, who Roman is basically just like this big Neanderthal caveman who I've gone to Australia <laughs> and New Zealand with, lived with him in both countries, and has just been like my best friend throughout the entire journey, was there, you know, for all the ups and downs. Both of them were amazing. Roman, like, doesn't have Instagram or Facebook. So <laughs> I think when I told him that I came out, it was more just like, a, I'm happy for you because you're happy, man. For him, it was just like, you've just been, this has already been your life. You've already been out to me and to other people. Um, but Gavin is another person who's been amazing because he just like always reminded me that you know, what I was doing was more than just some of the relationships I had around me. I think there were times where I didn't have the best relationships with a lot of people in my club. And he reminded me that like, it's more than that, right? You're not always going to get along with people around you, but just to kind of do things at my own pace and value myself and, you know, not beat myself up for not getting there as quickly as I wanted to. So he was also one of the only people who knew kind of behind the scenes it was around some of my club members who were if something was said to me like there was a homophobic comment made around me he would always kind of give me that look of like am i allowed to intervene on this yeah like, this is some bullshit. do you want me to beat him up boss <laughs> yeah so those have been my two like really big support systems for me throughout just like yeah this like 13 year journey both of them are straight so both straight allies that's it that's what we need that's what we need now i've got a question from daniel who asks out of all the places you've played, which has been your favourite? Obviously, I'm assuming that for political reasons, you have to say the one you're currently playing at. But no, no, I'm not going to say that at all. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to say New Zealand. Yeah, just like everything about my time in New Zealand, living there with Roman, like who I just mentioned, is my best friend. Like getting to live there with him, he was actually the assistant coach of the high school team I was coaching while I was there. And like getting that experience of coaching and playing with him and just like being in a country as beautiful and that like values rugby as much as New Zealand, like it's always going to be my above and beyond experience. I, I would love for something to top it, but I think for now, 
uh, that's just kind of the pinnacle for me. I've got a question. Um, I've got two questions, actually. Uh, the first one is probably a question we should have asked right at the start, which is what what position do you play in rugby? <laughs> Hang on. It, it'll be on his profile, Matt. I mean, you know. <laughs> Nobody cares. It's fine. <laughs> is, it, is it verse? <laughs> I mean, basically, if my position were a sexual... Um, I don't. What do you I wasn't call even, it? I wasn't even meeting sexual. <laughs> it was in your eyes, Matt. It was in your eyes. It's, it's totally not I me. Mean, it's totally not me doing this. <laughs> I think if verse though was a rugby position, it would be flanker, right? Like that's is literally what flanker is. So that's what I play. I play flanker. So you can take that however you might take it. But I play <laughs> flanker primarily, and I actually did play a lot of hooker. I know I have to say it just because everybody likes to to giggle at it. So I'm I'm so not giggling. I'm I'm an adult. <laughs> well, yes, this is a wholesome, mature podcast. We've already been <laughs> over that. We we keep it PG here. The serious question. I'm genuinely interested. So it wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> it doesn't matter that the answer included uh, hookers <laughs> in verse. Yeah. <laughs> um, the second thing is obviously you became the in uh, global ambassador for international gear rugby this year what type of stuff does that involve will you be traveling will you be going to the different you know countries and to meet the teams are you ever in newcastle i would love to come to newcastle (laughs) (laughs) i I really wish i could i i really do want to go to newcastle what happened when i was in the uk is i was just in the london area so i I got to go meet the stags Uh, i got to meet the steelers and a couple of the other teams who came to the pride sevens tournament that they did uh, but in terms of like what my role is going to be, I think that a lot of it's still kind of being determined. They haven't like named a global ambassador before. But for me, it's really in line with what I want to do, which is just starting to travel the world and speaking in schools and speaking with teams and clubs and sort of getting more into coaching, which is what I want to do. So hopefully a lot of my future is going to be traveling around and being able to kind of create those connections, not only with IGR players, but you know, one of my goals is to bring kind of a younger population to IGR as well, have that awareness be that, you know, not finding out when you're 25 years old, but knowing when you pick up the sport, when you're 15, 16 years old, that when you grow up, if you decide you want to play, you know, socially, or you decide you want to play for an IGR team that is competitive in your area, you're going to have that option. So I think that's going to be my role kind of moving forward is really just being sort of front facing, doing a lot of community outreach. And then you'll see me at the Bingham Cups, You'll see me. I'm going to compete with the World Barbarians if all goes right. So I'll be playing and meeting coaches, meeting players, and really just want to get involved any way that I can. So if there's ever any club that wants me to come and help coach or speak to them, like, yes, like the Ravens, like, that's exactly what I want to do. I just want to meet as many people as I can. And this kind of ambassador role is a perfect chance to do that. You would be super welcome to come and be a guest coach for however long you can spare with the Newcastle Ravens. But also every every uh, spring we run um, a cup called the Hadrian's Cup where we get LGBT teams um, from across the UK to come and do a mini tournament. We've been doing it for about 10 years now. Um, no, I think this would have been our 10th one if it wasn't for COVID. Uh, so our next one is our 10th anniversary. So... Um, if you want to come along and meet 20 gear teams all at once, we we can facilitate that. And you can present our cup or something. That would be brilliant. That'd be awesome. And it sounds very efficient. 20 in one go. That's I like, cool. like <laughs> I haven't had that many and uh, I've been around. <laughs> right. I have a question from 
Sophie P. That sounds like a rapper who who asks, "Do you wish? Oh, it's a serious one. Do you wish you had more gay sporting roles while you were growing up?" Within rugby specifically, yeah, definitely. Mm. I think that there was like a lot of representation in other sports, but I mean, for me, you obviously have somebody like Gareth Thomas and a handful of other players. You know, I know Keegan Hurst was another one, and um, there was an Australian player as well whose name's escaping me right now. But it was very few and far in between, and especially for players who were coming out like during their prime while they were still playing, it was even less. And so I feel like for me, especially in the U.S., there weren't a lot of people that I knew about growing up. But I did sort of find out later in life when I learned about Mark Bingham and obviously, you know, all the amazing work, you know, for people who don't know, Mark Bingham is who the Bingham Cup is named after, which is, mm. you know, this massive worldwide. It's his cup, event. isn't it? They've just nicked it off him. <laughs> it was named after him um, because he had passed away um, on 9-11. He was on one of the flights that was, you know, where he was somebody who had fought against the hijackers. And so now that's kind of this massive event where people come from all over the world to honor him and to honor his legacy. And it became a way for IGR to grow and for all the clubs to meet each other. So when I found about him, he was somebody who was like, that is an amazing role model who I wish I'd known about when I was younger, because I think it would have changed my opinion on, you know, what I could do and how open I could be playing rugby if I'd known about it sooner. Sorry. I was just going to say that's that's amazing because I I know of the I know of Bingham Cup I've not been playing rugby long enough to ever attend one but the Ravens Newcastle Ravens do um try to get to them and we'll be trying to we're weighing up if we can get to Canada next year but I didn't know the history of where of where you know Mark's story so that's incredible I knew it was related to nine eleven in a way but I wasn't sure fully what the background of it was. Yeah, he was on that famous, there was a flight that didn't reach its destination in Washington, D.C. And, you know, you guys, I really um, encourage anybody listening as well to watch the film Legacy, which is about Mark Bingham and his mother's legacy, essentially, and, you know, how she carried forward what he wanted to do and his, you know, tried to honor his life. But he was on that flight and he actually made a phone call down to the ground and spoke to his mother, who basically explained what the situation was from the ground of there were planes that had crashed into the world trade center and that there were multiple ones that had been hijacked and basically told her son on the phone that you needed to like you need to stop them and you need to do something and he was part of that team that overthrew the hijackers and the plane you know didn't reach its destination and crashed and you know there weren't any survivors so it's really an incredible legacy that he has and how he's connected to gay rugby as well as he was a one of the founding members of the san francisco fog which is one of the original um, igr teams amazing amazing well i have a final fan question which is from it's from stuart and I'm I'm wondering if maybe it's our Stuart, uh, <laughs> you know, who can still send a question in, even if he can't even bloody well be here. But uh, yeah, <laughs> he said that you're quite a fan of Drag Race. If you started doing drag, what would your name be? Oh, God. Oh, I should be prepared for this question. How am I not prepared? <laughs> this has How to have been a conversation that you and Fergus have had. How am I not prepared? I could list off like, four of fergus's drag names (laughs) (laughs) but in terms of my own ones oh man i feel like it should link to your position so it could be burst (laughs) i barely know her (laughs) that's a long drag name (laughs) (laughs) it's it's worth it for the pun i'll use one that i know is one of um one of the ones that fergus did come up with but hasn't taken on for himself and i'll go with belinda china shop 
<laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> that's that's the bit because I feel like if that was me and drag, that's what it would be like. It would be like a bull in a china shop. I am extremely clumsy. I wouldn't look good. I wouldn't be able to move well. Would be it'd be I, something to look at. I think we need to see this. I think I think I think we need to see this before we can believe it. But uh... <laughs> I'm I'm taking all applications. So feel free. <laughs> If you're willing to put your drag reputation on the line <laughs> by well, trying to make me into something uh, usable. To, to be fair, though, since we were discussing it earlier, I want to see more uh, like drag in sports. I think that would be hilarious. Like if, you know, we were talking about like, you know, rugby teams like, um, I don't know if this was before we started recording, but uh, where we were talking about rugby teams uh, having like, you know, a game in prom dresses and such. Like, mm. I want to see, like, I want to see a drag tennis team or something where everyone, so it's basically just Princess Peach from like, you know, Mario Tennis or something, just sort of full, full gown running around with a tennis racket. That would be amazing. I'd love that. Sorry, did you miss the start of season two of UK? That's pretty <laughs> much what we've got. <laughs> you have a point. You have a point. <laughs> No, I think that would be I think that would be brilliant. There actually was a professional fighter back in the day from Japan who would make the walk to the cage in drag. Really? What was uh, that I name? Don't have the name I don't have the name off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure if you Google <laughs> drag queen coming and walking out to uh, MMA, I think they were in Pride, the organization Pride, but you know, it's out there. It can be done. <laughs> Sounds amazing. That's the wonderful world of drag, isn't it? But yeah, some of our rugby players have done drag. They've done fundraisers. Yeah. And of all people to actually make pretty convincing drag queens, you wouldn't think rugby players would be the people, but actually shave their beards off. And they're good to go. Well, I, I remember that because wasn't that a shame? Because I'm sure there was like a Ravens fundraiser that where you all going to be in drag. And then I think when that's when the pandemic hit and then you couldn't actually do it in the end. And I, I know some people from the team who I have on Facebook were very looking forward to it and maybe getting a bit too into it, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did have um, a Canada fundraiser planned for Boulevard. But it got forwarded off, so unfortunately, SDI did not make the stage. Oh. It's still quite emotional. <laughs> <laughs> There's always next year. There's always time. <laughs> yeah, I know that your team in Boston as well also has had a long history of doing the inclusive gay rugby team, the Ironsides, has done a lot of drag shows. And they actually they didn't even let COVID stop them. They just they did it full virtual drag show this time around. So <laughs> they, they're really committed to the idea. <laughs> you can't keep a good queen down. That's how it is. Right. And I think that's just about it. So I want to say thank you very much for our wonderful guests for being on. Ravens, my ravishing duo. Have you got anything that you'd like to promote? Yeah, if you want to come and find us on Instagram, it's at Newcastle Ravens. You can um, message about joining either Union or Touch. We're always recruiting and always willing to welcome new members. And also you could find us at our monthly pub quiz, which is the first Thursday of every month on the Newcastle theme. Again, message Instagram and we'll let you know the details. Amazing, amazing. Matt, is there anything or is that everything? Glenn has covered everything. Way! So, as the social sector. 
He is. Uh, and if, if you want to join, I'll accept your money. <laughs> That's it. You, you will sit on their gold for them. Oh, actually, we also offer social member status as well as player status. So you don't always have to want to play. You can also actually join as a social member as well for a reduced rate. I, does that include ogling? Yes. Right. Okay. You might even get a feel. <laughs> Devon, is there anything that you'd like to promote? So I guess if you could just follow me on Instagram at that gay rugger. I've also got you know Twitter with the same handle. There is a TikTok out there if you want to put yourself through that. Um, then, <laughs> um, besides that, also I'm really just looking to do, like I said, a lot of public speaking and going into schools. So if there's anybody who has a team or school or anything like that who wants me to come in and speak, you can email me thatgayrugger at gmail dot com. And always happy to do any podcasts or anything like that. So. That's what I've got going on right now. I'm hoping to do, you know, unveil some projects a little bit down the road. But right now, I'm very similar to uh, to our lovely host. Things have been opening up, and my schedule has been a little bit busier than it was before. So the long term projects have become a little bit longer term. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. That's great. Yes. So follow you on Instagram. Uh, and as for myself, uh, you can see all of my rubbish by going to thevelvetsnatch.com. And that has links to my YouTube that will get updated at some point. Yes. Uh, and I'm on TikTok, which will also get updated at some point. And my Instagram, it's just thevelvetsnatch at everything, all one word. I don't even know what I should mention. I'm doing things in December. Yay. Cool. There we go. <laughs> no, but I want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening. It's been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, guys. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's been great. <laughs> right. And thank you all for listening. Uh, now, can we do one thing? Because I get always annoyed by this, where we don't do it in sync. Can we all say goodbye together? So it's not awkward as fuck. Because I feel really awkward as fuck when I'm doing it with the other guys. What, what style of goodbye? There's certainly... <laughs> Whatever. We could we take a handkerchief out and be like, farewell, my love. Well, we'll make it happen. Okay, we'll make it happen. Okay, okay. Right. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. 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 We have failed. We have failed. Was there going to be a counting? There was, but I forgot it. So, okay, we'll try again. We'll try again. Stu is going to love listening back to this. And he's just like, you have absolutely failed at this. Right, okay. So, okay, let's do one, two, three. Okay, one, two, three. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, that's the best we're going to get.